when you sell a business, and you understand this for sure, right? Any business, anything you're selling, you're not selling features, you're no. selling benefits. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome to the Bluemex episodes of 2020. We've got a great lineup set up for you guys. Uh, as you notice, we got a new location now. We're filming out of Huddle Share Space, it's a new co-working space out of Scarborough. We're operating out of here as well. Uh, but of course, we got to give out a main shout out to MCRO, who continues to be a mainline sponsor for the, for the show and for everything that we do. So remember guys, if you're looking for any apps, if you get made any, make any apps, uh, create any software, Definitely consider them in your process. Uh, they do a great job. They support us and they can definitely support you. Happy 2020, guys. Awesome. We have Karen here from Taku um, awesome. and also a point of sale company, apparently. We're going to get down to that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Karen, thank you so much for coming on our, on our show. Uh, this, I think it's the 39th episode. You know, it'd be hilarious if today I've been counting down every episode uh, we've had a guest on for, but it'd be hilarious if each of them I'm wrong at, but hopefully not. Anyways, 39th episode, uh, fourth episode of the 2020 edition. First time we're filming out of this location at Huddle Share oh, wow. Space. First time. Okay. Awesome. Right. So um, it's been great so far, and uh, we have a great bunch of guests today, but really excited to talk to you and learn more about what uh, your industry is. But thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's start off a little bit about uh, what, uh, who you are as a founder and what got you to, into uh, retail technologies. Yeah. Um, what's your background? Well, the background is a little bit odd, okay. just so you know, okay? So for me, um, most people in the retail space mm -hmm. usually come from a very long storied history in retail. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, it wasn't that simple. And I don't think most, I think most entrepreneurs have a very, <coughs> have a path they never expected, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really what's normal for entrepreneurship. Um, for me, I actually started in marketing, corporate marketing, uh, many, many years ago. I'm not gonna name the years, but, so when I started, I all I wanted to do was work in CBG. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to work in a big brand that everybody knew, and and that was kind of my life, my mm -hmm. what I thought would be my life. I did that for a couple of years, and I realized the scope is really small. I really enjoyed being able to challenge myself, be able to to do more, um, and I ended up moving further. Uh, eventually, moving into so I did work for a while in consumer packaged goods. I worked for Labatt. Mm -hmm. Um, for a little while and I you know worked in marketing and I and I learned a lot yeah but then so you I did Labatt? yeah I started there okay. actually and then so eventually I went into promotional agency okay learned a bit more there and I said okay well, this is really interesting but it, but then an opportunity came up for me so I ended up starting a wholesale business mm. in Toronto well in the GTA in Markham were you, actually what were you wholesaling uh it was home decor Okay. So not exciting stuff, but I I wanted to be my own boss. You mm. know, I was really young. I thought being my own boss was just going to be a lot easier than it was. I mean, I enjoyed the the challenge. I enjoyed the work and all of that. But you know, I certainly downplayed a lot of the sacrifices that are required. But learn a ton. Had an opportunity, however. So what size? What scale do you bring this uh, wholesaling business up to? It wasn't a huge business. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got close to about a million, right, in Amazing. annual rev. But at the end of the day, it was tiring. Yeah. And I was still really young. I mean, I was in my twenties, right? Mm -hmm. So I was. I chanced upon an opportunity to go to Asia. So I, my husband and I talked about it, and we decided, you know what? At the end of the day, we don't have anything to tie us down right now. If we want to do anything, mm -hmm. we should do it now. Right? You got to do it before you decide to really settle down. Yeah. Right? We were married already and we said, okay, let's give it a shot. So in <coughs> 2007, we moved to Asia. So we were in Hong Kong Amazing. originally. Yeah. And I was working at that time for a manufacturer in Asia. 
And then I eventually started moving more and more from marketing into operations. Mm -hmm. So got into that. And then later on, I met a partner, a technical partner in um, Taiwan. So I was working at that point in China, southern China, in manufacturing. So you were working for yourself, or you working? No, I was working for others. Okay. And then, but I had my own trading firm in Hong Kong okay. that I was doing training for, and then I started training or trading. Trading. Yeah, okay. import exports. Okay. So I started to do a bunch of other stuff, and then of course, um, I, I decided to move into retail. Mm. So I had a retail business in Taiwan also with a partner. Okay. So kind of busy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this is where I think a lot of entrepreneurs go, right? You, especially when you're younger, you really have the energy. You really have that drive. I mean, you still have those things. But at the same time, I also didn't think about balance. There was no balance, yep. right? I literally worked 24-7 all the time, um, every day of the week. And I have to be honest, I burnt out. Yeah. Like My husband and I both decided um, after eight years, you know what? this is not how we envisioned it. And we also didn't really think that there was kind of a way out of this. Even if there was a financial return, we were starting to really suffer in terms yeah. of our work-life balance, our health, everything, right? So our families are here. My husband's from Montreal originally. My mom, you know, my parents are all here. My sister's here. And we said we wanted to, to come back. And you know what? We're just going to get jobs. Right? That's what we thought we would do, right? So we got back. Two months later, we were really bored by that point, okay? Mm. Again, something came up. And this is where life, you know, when they say six degrees of separation and the opportunities that come to you are unexpected. Yeah. So when we were in retail in Asia, mm -hmm. wholesale and retail, we found that there was no real cloud platform that could handle the high volume of inventory we were dealing with. And more importantly, we were unable to actually find something that could handle multi-language. Because I was dealing in Taiwan and Chinese, and in China, and don't forget, Taiwan and China is different because it's simplified traditional Chinese. And then I had English, obviously, for Hong Kong and for customers. So it was a real struggle, right? Trying to manage all of that. I had an omni-channel business. So I had like online, e-commerce then I had the in-store and then I had the purchasing with the manufacturing and everything else so it was like a big mess right yeah, yeah. everything was siloed um working abroad was really really difficult when you're flying around and so I was looking for an opportunity to either work for a business that was solving this problem or maybe even look at solving it myself but you know long story short I get back and I chanced upon an opportunity so kind of through a family friend, I found out that there was a installed point of sale. So that means kind of a legacy point of sale, right? Point of sale, I don't know if you're familiar with it, is, is retail management software, Yeah. right? But it's not as simple as a pin pad or a checkout point. Retail management software today means CRM, purchasing, possibly marketing, um, e-commerce, all that stuff is all integrated together, right? Shopify is a really great example a business I really admire, uh, but they deal with a certain type of business and they're e-commerce heavy, right? So for me, my focus was higher inventory volumes, larger size businesses. And this business I chanced upon was run by an owner who was going to close it. He kind of, he was 70 already. Kids didn't want it. Um, point of sale is a funny space, super sticky. Mm. So what that means is, low churn yeah you got if that someone right? gets it they're it's not very very hard to get it. out right yeah. and and a lot of our customers now because actually what i ended up doing was i acquired the book of business i didn't actually take over the business i 
started supporting the business. Okay. So I created a business to support these merchants. So mm -hmm. when I started, it was about 5,000 merchants across North America. We're at about 6,000 now. So we resell the software and we support it. And what I've done... Sorry, so you bought the book of business, meaning yeah. like you bought an existing business's No, clients? I bought the right to support them, to be the exclusive provider to them. So, gotcha. So a company's already got a software yeah. into a bunch of businesses, yeah. right? Let's say a couple thousand. Yeah. And you bought the rights to be like continuing support. Supporting them and also reselling. So the exclusive supporter, exclusive reseller. But what that gave me was, first of all, an ability to finance the build. Yeah. Because that's what I really wanted to do. I needed to build the next generation platform is what I found out. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people don't focus on my market size. Um, our average customers are about a million annual revenue to maybe about 10 to 20 million. Um, an existing customer of ours at ACE, which is the install base, is actually Corthodary. So we have some fabric blends, some Corthodaries that work with us now. And so our issue right now is we wanted to be able to serve this type of customer, right? Mm. Not necessarily the DTCs that you hear about every day on, in the news, not the Caspers of the world, right? Sorry, DTCs? The, uh, direct to consumer. Okay. Sorry, yeah, it's really common for Just us. Just got to break yeah, down yeah, the lingo. Got Just got to break it down. Yeah? Every industry yeah. has its acronym, yeah. right? So. Yeah, no, everybody's talking about those really sexy businesses, which I think are fantastic. Mm. But at the end of the day, there's so many established businesses that I think need to move now into how, the, I guess the, you could say the 21st century, right? They need to now serve how current shoppers buy. Yeah. And people aren't doing that still, right? Think about how often you go do, I was just talking earlier with Henry, right? About mm. Google My Business. Think about how often when you're searching for a customer or you're searching for a store, you can't find them. Mm -hmm. They either don't have a website or their Google My Business isn't updated. It's really frustrating. Absolutely. I've had the same problem even with banks. Yeah. I mean, how frustrating is it? You rush in to get somewhere and they're closed early today because they didn't update their, their hours, right? Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I wanted to close that loop on. To me, it's all about the ability to get in front of your customer now before they get to the store, before they even shop online. Mm. And it's actually not a scenario where a lot of people are like, oh, you've got to go e-commerce or you've got to go in-store. It's not about that anymore. Personally, shopping, it's a customer journey now, right? Like, when was the last time you bought something without checking reviews, asking a friend, looking on social media? It's not that simple anymore, right? There's a million touch points before that you put your money down, right? And that's where we need to now get into the conversation. And so for me, it was about building a hub that could deliver on that. No, absolutely. Um I mean, the fact that you went into this business uh, in this kind of manner shows It's that, a weird manner, isn't it? No, I think it's the smartest way possible. Because mm. point-of-sale sales is one of the worst, like, holes you can go into. Um, so we actually deal with a lot of, like, we talk to a lot of, like, point-of-sale companies, yeah. and we deal with them. And it's it's a pit, right? Because, like, like you said, the churn rate is so low. Yeah. Companies don't, like, uh, restaurants especially, storefronts, do not change your point-of-sale systems. No, they rarely. Right. And then the other side of it is... I mean, there isn't necessarily, it's it's not that easy to, mm -hmm. right? To be frank, though, a lot of people think it's easier because it's point of sale. And we only deal retail. We don't even do restaurant, right? Yeah. But retail, I mean, there's inventory management. As I said, there's customer management. You start getting into customer loyalty mm -hmm. points, your price points, <coughs> your promotions. That stuff is not simple to manage. Yeah. But there's a perception that it is. And so, therefore, it's not easy to, for example, rebuild a whole application, which is why we were looking, I, I, I financed the business differently on purpose um, because, number one, I'd done it a couple times before and I knew mm -hmm. how hard, number one, it was to build a business with no customer base. Yeah. But second of all, 
at that point, I wanted to bootstrap, right? I didn't want to look at financing at that point because I, and I, obviously you understand this very well, you dilute too early, it's a big risk. Mm -hmm. And also the possibility of success may not necessarily move in the direction and the trajectory you want to move it towards, right? Because you're trying to trace growth at all costs sometimes. So for me, I wanted to make sure I did the build. We bootstrapped the build at least. Mm. And then at that point, when we have a money-making machine, yeah. then that's when I'm really starting to talk to um, you know, some of the, the investment that's available out there. So how do you quantify that? Like, when does it become like a money-making machine? When is it not just, not just revenue positive, profit positive? Well, at the end of the day, it's product market fit, right? For me, I have the advantage because I chose to find a customer base first, yeah. albeit it wasn't easy because running a business that is, frankly, a harvest business, right? It was yeah. on the decline for a reason, right? Um, is because, you know, more and more people want to look for cloud. But I find that it's easier because, number one, I was able to build with validation. Our customers worked with us to the build, on the build. We have immediately some beta customers. We immediately have transactional, you know, an easier way to jump into transactions. And then more importantly, it's the network. Okay. So my existing integrations, for example, they're all partners right now. So I have relationships with all the processors that I need, right? All the marketing um, integrations. We work with MailChimp. We work with Shopify. We work with all the payment processors with my legacy business. So moving into the cloud was a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, it's not easy, though, managing two businesses. You have to make sure there really is some complementary processes. Otherwise, you really are struggling to kind of deal with two separate entities, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so Taku is... Uh, the new yep, cloud based system Labs, that, yeah, the company, that, you, yeah. that you that you now start, you you pretty much resell to the existing client base like well, as the upgrade. Well, actually, Taco Labs is something. So we've built Taco Retail, which is the actual platform, and we built that for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. We're now actually the only um, POS system that that is integrated to Google. Mm -hmm. So we're there, we are a strategic Google partner. Okay. Because we have some interesting integrations with their Google My Business. Um, their geolocation ads and things like that. And we were actually launching this quarter. So we're working together with them. We've been beta testing with these yeah. existing customers. We have some fantastic support behind us right now. And um, this quarter is actually when we're really starting to move in. Can we bring the website up? Yeah, thanks. This is awesome. So uh, let's talk about that Google integration a little yeah. bit, right? That, that's, that, that seems pretty unique. Um, how would the integration work? Well, we, I was talking about the customer journey, right? Yeah. So part of the issue right now is people need to be found, number one, as a business before the, the person's out the door, mm -hmm. right? If I'm looking for a certain type of thing, when I do a, a Google search, I want to be able to pull up. I want my business to come up, right? If I'm a merchant or any type of business. So that's one thing. Um, what we did is we integrated to Google My Business right now, and we've integrated to Google Ads. So I don't know if you've ever searched on, let's say, look for something like glass top, stove top cleaner, right? If you do that, you often will find things like Canadian Tire ads, which actually will tell you exactly where to go. Mm. So in the past, these type of ads were only available to larger retailers. So what I've done with our point of sale is we've directly integrated our point of sale, just the products though, obviously, no personal information, to Google. So what that means is you can select the products you want to run ads on. And anybody who's searching within a certain vicinity of your store are going to have ads show up and ranked higher 
because they're actually geolocated ads, geotargeted ads. That's freaking amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Because, and what we've done is we've added the ability to control your ad spend. So for example, like I was talking about earlier, you're looking for a Nike pair of shoes and a customer of mine, a merchant of mine is using our point of sale and they're running ads on that. You're within, let's say a 10 kilometer radius of that store. Well, that ad's gonna come up now and it'll tell you their stock. And the good part about it is if you sell out that day, the ads are gonna turn off automatically. So the good thing is you're not spending money on ads for things you don't have anymore, right? That is actually the other half of the problem with advertising sometimes, right? You actually spend money, but you, first of all, don't know if it actually incurred a sale. And second of all, you don't know how to stop the ad because you can't match that inventory level with it. Mm -hmm. It's a huge problem right now, even to this day. No, absolutely. I mean, that, I mean that, that's interesting enough. Like the fact that you can run ads above current inventory you have. Yeah. And make sure that the inventory matches yeah. with what the ad you put up. Yeah. But uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> but um, like this is something I, I thought about earlier as well, yeah. right? Like a searchable point of sale system, or yeah. like you know all these different stores and different verticals have all their stuff listed. Yeah. And you can search it. So if you go on Google and you search a product, could it could it come up, or only just ads for now? Well, it's a combination of things. So the Google My Business component is completely free for merchants, right? So what we do is we integrate your store information in your point of sale directly to Google My Business with your store hours. And we actually put a kind of like a showcase of products underneath. That part is completely free. Mm. So there's you don't have to spend you know any money on that. It's only when you want to do geo-targeted ads that you actually will have to spend a little bit of money. But it's not actually as much as most people think, right? A lot of businesses that are out there that are established run flyers. They still run a lot of radio ads. And those are still great platforms, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you also want to start <clears throat> engaging with people through mobile. Yeah. And the easiest way to do that to this day right now is still digital marketing, right? Absolutely. And so for my customers, for as little as, you know, five, ten dollars a day, you can get in front of a certain number of people. And remember the good thing about that kind of spend is you don't pay unless somebody clicks. Yeah. Right. So it is actually actionable, targeted people right when they want to buy. That's really cool. So this is like um so is this, you said you're one of the first point of sales systems to integrate with Google. Well, the only one right now that is integrated, yeah. Okay, so can we, uh, Dale, can you bring up Google My Business? Yeah. That's what it's called, the program? No, no, Google, well, Google My Business is actually a Google platform Google that platform. is free, yeah. which creates a profile for any merchant who wants to be found. So if we look up, you know, Bluemix right now, you want to be able to find out all the information, because oftentimes you know a company's name, but let's say you want to actually go to the store, Okay. right? The first thing that happens if you type up a store name is you want to be able to find their address, their phone number, their store hours, right? Any reviews. So like the, the pro exactly, yeah. right? And that Google provides us completely free, but in the past you had to manually update it. Mm. You had to constantly keep a separate application, get separate notifications. Now we're saying, okay, forget that. You're a merchant, you're busy. And is you're this the same as like when you go on Google Maps and you say clean my business? Kind of like that, yeah. Kind of like that, right? Well, actually, if you have a Google My Business, you automatically are found on Google Maps. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. So it's kind of the same thing, yeah. No, definitely. So you guys allow the customer's inventory to be now lively linked? We do the store information and the inventory. Okay. Yeah. And what's, uh, like, is that a feature live right now? Is it running? Yeah, it's part of, well, we have the beta right now with with some like some existing uh, other mm -hmm. customers from the legacy platform. But it is live. And when we launch that, it's going live together with it. And we're also launching campaigns. Amazing. So that means that you can now run ads by just saying, okay, I want to run these bunch of ads. Uh, this is my budget. 
just hit start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't have to even understand how to run a Google ad. Because that was the other side we found that was that was a problem, right? And I think you understand this, right? Part of the problem is that a lot of businesses, when they talk about digital marketing, a lot of people still have a lot of, well, fear of what it means. It's not the same as holding a flyer in your hand. It's not the same as seeing a TV ad or hearing a radio ad. Yeah. I don't know if it's out there in the ether, right? Yeah. So for a lot of customers, they want and are afraid to actually start these campaigns because they're like, I don't know how to hire somebody to even run these ads. So we said, okay, let's make it as automated as possible. There's some great machine learning tools out there that Google offers to do this. And you know, you might as well use some of that AI that Google offers and actually run those ads without actually taking that risk. Mm. You can turn them off anytime you want. So there's no, there's no real risk for you, right? You can yeah. try it out. Um, and you know, most of the customers that have done it, because we have an integration uh, right now, and, and when they test them, definitely conversions are higher than regular search ads, higher than your average, you know, any other click-through ads that, that they're running right now. And um, it makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? If somebody's looking for something in your area right when they want to buy, it makes sense that you want to link that together. Absolutely. And so it, it's a, we were really lucky to have the opportunity. And, and I'm, I'm sure Google is going to try to expand a lot of, a lot of these type of functions with other point of sale systems too. But um, like for us, we have a, a certain size of customer we want to deal with and we want to help. Like, and, and another thing we did was we made it multi-store, for example, mm. right? And that's something that's also been a struggle. Because I don't know if, you, you know when you walk into a store and they don't have your size and then they can't search the other stores to find out they have yep. your size? That's the type of frustration now that I think shoppers are not willing to accept anymore. Of course not, yeah. Right? They're like, well, it's going on Amazon. And the other side, the sad part is you probably spent money to get them to the door. Mm -hmm. You spent money to get them into that store. To sell on behalf of somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have to close that loop for merchants nowadays. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, the searchable component, making your inside of your store searchable yep. and at scale, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how's it been when it comes to like, so you have this existing pool of people that you can introduce this product to. Yeah. But for new, like, like you said, like, Point of sale is really hard to sell. You got to have uh, a go-to-market, right? Yeah. yeah. So for us, um, that's kind of where the secondary benefit of having a base is. Remember when I talked mm -hmm. about relationships? Partner marketing is so key, I think, for most B2B businesses, right? B2C is a little bit different. When you're selling to consumer, you have other opportunities, right? And I think many people are seeing this now with the implosion of um, paid, heavy, driven businesses. Mm. I think that now with the implosion of WeWork and all these other, I, I think, really, really expensive startups um, that were, that really are actually still fantastic ideas. Part of the problem has been that there hasn't been enough emphasis on the down and dirty of using your customer base, right? You need to get a base of influencers, even when you're B2B, not just B2C. Mm. A lot of people have the perception of, and a lot of people understand the idea of influencer marketing, right? Yeah. With B2C, right? You gotta get those really initial adopters to, to love your stuff and share it. Same thing with B2B though. Mm. There's absolutely no difference. If you sell right now a point of sale system into a main street area, and there is a leader in that area, meaning that everybody looks up to, that store is gonna help share that technology to all the people down the street because mm. there's gonna be a BIA in that area, right? So whatever it is Sorry, you are selling, a business improvement area, okay. right? So every area of 
well, most cities have this and most regions have it. Toronto has it for sure. So all the different districts usually have an association of local merchants, local businesses that are trying to really rejuvenate and reju and just make that area thrive. Are these chambers of commerce? Like no, they're, they're usually run by, yeah, well, they're kind of, they're, they're volunteer for sure. Um, usually, obviously nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And all these businesses are doing and all these volunteers are doing is just making sure people are living in an area where there's a nice blend and a nice mix of businesses to help, right? Um, you don't want to have just condos, 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 and you know, we need to have that mix of businesses throughout. And I love my chain stores, but you also want to support independent businesses, yeah. right? And, that, and that's part of it, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was a small independent retailer before, so I totally get the struggles and I get those pain points. And I wanted to see that happening, right? And I think it is to some extent. You're seeing people more and more want to go back to walking the main street, right? People are kind of shying away from just major malls only, right? They, mm -hmm. they want to expand the way they shop. And like, let's talk a little bit about the Google integration. Yeah. Like how integrated it is within Google's features. Like could people go on like you know, Google Lens, search up a, an object? I'll connect them to the retail. I've been chasing Google for that. Yeah. Um, no, because they haven't even launched that in the US. Yeah, yeah. They, they, but the thing is, I know that they're expanding into those type of things. Mm -hmm. um, I unfortunately am not that tight with Google yet. I'd love yeah. to be. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, for me, the information that is in a point of sale is data that should be helpful to the merchant. And nobody has really tried to find a way to make it actionable. Mm -hmm. It's actionable that's the issue, right? A lot of people tell me all the time, I want to be able to collect my data. Okay, then I ask them, so what are you going to do with it? They're like, I don't know. Hmm. So collecting data for the sake of collecting data isn't useful, right? You can utilize inventory history to know, to see trends. You can start matching information to keywords, search trends in Google. There's so many things that people could do, but they aren't yet mm -hmm. because their systems either don't allow them to do it or, you know, they're not familiar with it. So we, we found out... Not only do we have to give them the tools, we have to make it easy. Mm -hmm. We have to make it super easy. And that's actually what half the struggle has been like. UX design has been half of our struggle because we wanted to make sure, we wanted to give them a system that, you know, they could learn it on their own. They could easily figure it out because it's intuitive. It, it's so hard to do that now because everybody's used to the simplicity of something on a mobile, something on a tablet, something on a, like you have to make it responsive. So our platform, for example, is fully responsive, yeah. right? So you can run it on any platform, any device. Our world is changing dramatically, Absolutely. right? It was completely different you yeah. know, 10, 15 years ago when we bought software and we bought things. When I bought my first POS for my own business, God, the things I was looking for are, now I realize, you know, for example, one thing is payment processing. Yeah. I didn't realize buying a certain system would restrict certain things like who I use for my processing. Mm -hmm. The processing fees are tied to who I use. Next thing you know, I'm paying a lot more than others, right? So there's so many things you need to learn yeah. as a retailer. And, um, you know, I'm privileged to have had the opportunity to work in those fields and all the different sectors. So I'm hoping that, you know, we are here to help Canadian and U.S. merchants Absolutely. basically get ahead, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, point of sale market has changed dra dramatically. Before it was just like an entry market. Like anyone just is kind of hawking software can kind of get in. Yeah. Because they're just selling software as like a package, right? You yep. pay one-time fee, license fee, and boom, it's yours. Yeah. But now, especially the cloud and like you know, software service and like subscription based, it's got more very competitive within a very limited amount of players. It is and specialization like this is it's definitely going to help you stick out. Well, I, 
We definitely hope so too, right? Yeah. But it is a funny thing, right? The, the move to cloud, right? A lot of people who have been used to buying single licenses and, and those businesses exist everywhere from Tim Hortons. All, I mean, everybody's still using those, right? And it make a lot of sense. They're great, fast applications. But I mean, I'm sure you understand cloud is the future. And the reason why is you need to be able to access your business data all yeah. the time yeah. from anywhere. And more importantly, you need to get those updates. A lot of people <coughs> will actually think about, they're scared of updates, right? But yeah. the fact of the matter is just like people talk about Tesla, you know how you can go to sleep and wake up the next day and have a new car? Yeah. yeah. You need those updates now because the world is changing too fast. Yeah. You just can't afford to not have the latest security patch or all those other things that come up, right? It, it's so scary. Yeah. Um, but the pace of change is what it is and you've got to match it if you want to survive. Absolutely, and that's one of the biggest things vulnerabilities with the windows is most people do not uh, make the, um, the patches or not download the patches yeah. or do the updates. And that's what the security yeah. threats are, like uh, the vulnerabilities are. People are looking for that who do not update. We still have customers that, mm. have, that use our legacy platform in XP. I mean, we try so hard to move them over and we convince them. I mean, we're, we're obviously compatible all the way to Windows 10, right? But we tell them, look, it's not about just whether or not you like the Windows platform or not, or whether you're afraid of the platform. It's the fact is it's not supported and it's not secure. Mm -hmm. And you're taking money, right? So you have to be cautious about your data and everything else. But, and it happens, right? Um, yeah. And unfortunately, POS tends to also be sometimes a target of ransomware, right? Which is why, again, you have to be careful with how you back up data and how you, that's why cloud is so great, right? There's automatic built-in redundancy. Yeah. So, you know. But for now, that's why people are so scared of the cloud. They yeah. think it's so, yeah. you know, like so integrated that like it's a risk. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'd say it this way. Think about the amount of money that Google, Amazon, Microsoft, all these big players put in the security of their data servers, mm. right? There's Think about how much money you put into protecting your servers, right? I mean, obviously the amount of money they spend is gonna far exceed what we do. Yep. And so to have that backup, and obviously those guarantees with SLAs and everything else is very, very different. Yeah, yeah. So. like it's the exact same counter argument I would make to customers when I used to sell um, smart home equipment, mm -hmm. right? And people are like, is it secure? And yeah. I'm like, well, Google has a $5 billion yeah. security infrastructure backing yeah. this. <laughs> Right, so yeah, it's pretty secure. And um, I mean, absolutely. That's one of the main reasons you want to work with these big yeah. players when it comes to privacy and security yeah. is they offer that kind of security, security and if they don't, that's a huge value loss for them. Yeah, and I mean, the, you have to be vigilant, right? Yeah. Any merchant, any business owner has to be vigilant, right? Because often the security isn't actually the technology or even a hacking, like somebody hacking you, it's internal. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, another thing that's a problem with POS is a lot of people don't think about how deep access rights should be given, right? You have to be able to manage who you give access to. People need to be able to know that they have the ability to have to, the ability to limit their data, who can access all and see that kind of data. And, and that's been a problem also, right? Because yeah. a lot of people are trusting and it's great that they are, but then half the times the shrinkage and theft in, in retail is very, very significant. Yeah. It's in some cases over 20%. Yes. Yeah. So think about that as a yeah. loss for some people. And now when you add the return rate of e-commerce, you're talking about some serious cost to your business if you're not managing that properly. Absolutely. Um, I mean, let's step back for a second and talk about like you as the founder, like building this platform. 
Is this the first digital product you've ever made or did you make any Yeah, else? this is actually the first digital product I made my own. Like, well, I have two other co-founders, right? So mm -hmm. I am the CEO of the business, but I'm really lucky to have two co-founders that I can work with um, and, you know, to build this because, and that's a funny thing, you know, I, I had a conversation with Google's technical team. Um, we work with them quite, yeah. quite uh, deeply because we're part of Google Cloud also, <coughs> or we use them. Mm -hmm. But what we found out was they told us that they don't actually work with any businesses that don't have at least two or more founders. And I, and at first I thought about it and I said, that's actually really smart because the reason why is you don't want to be in a silo. Yeah. You don't want to be in a vacuum, right? If you're building something yourself over three years later, everything's perfect. Mm -hmm. Everything's great because you built it yourself and you, you, you obviously think that everything you do is great, right? It's really, you need to have people you can bounce opposite opposing views off of and be able to get that insight from other point of views, right? It's really hard when you're doing it by yourself. I mean, it's hard enough as it is, right, with just a team, but you need people at the same level as you or at least similar levels as you to be able to, to get that real uh, engagement going, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, let's get into the nitty gritty of that because like building a digital product is so, I mean, for people who are not in that game, mm -hmm. it's such a jarring uh, aspect because there's so many unknown, unknown variables mm -hmm. into it. Yeah. So did you rely mostly on your partners? Are they more technical founders? Like they take care of the actual builds or how involved were you in the building? Well, the when you build an application, um, you know, the way I built it <coughs> is because, and actually point of sale is funny that way too. If you look at most point of sale businesses out there, most of them are often built by people who were in the space. Yeah. I mean, even Shopify, right? Toby himself, he had a retail business, right? Yeah. A lot of POS founders had a business at one point. And I myself am not different that way, right? So the use case of any application, all those use cases, um, the business logic, all of those things often don't necessarily come from the technical end. Mm -hmm. um, they come from people who have experience in the space because building an application doesn't mean anything if you ha don't have a value proposition that has a pain point that you're delivering on. So. Uh, what you want still is to be able to pinpoint what problem you're delivering on and really know what features and functions and like people talk about technology for the sake of technology often, right? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work if there isn't a market for what it is you're selling. We're still building something that needs to be sold, yeah. right? And, and that's unfortunately sometimes some of the difficulties for a lot of people who think that it's only technical and i say this because the reason why we got together with our co-partner uh co-founders co and co-partner is because he actually is technical he's really great uh programmer and he's actually very very familiar with the space he's actually persian iranian and mm -hmm. so he had his own retail uh, point of sale business actually uh for over 10 years in iran but he told me when he did it he struggled mm -hmm. to sell it because for him his focus was always just the technical. Building features, always about the features. But when you sell a business, and you understand this for sure, right? Any business, anything you're selling, you're not selling features, you're no. selling benefits, yeah. right? You're selling, who is your target market? Is there enough of them to actually sustain what you're doing? And what are the benefits and features you're actually delivering on, right? Like it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes to just talk about the technical side of things. It's funny mm. that you asked that question, but the number of times I've had to speak to either investors or other partners, the technical side rarely comes up. I mean, I do understand it. I know it quite well because we work, we built this application together, but even then I'm not, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not 
I don't have technical background, right? But most people, what they want to know is, what did you build and why did you build it? Yeah. Right? They want to know those things first because you have to be able to sell it. Yeah. Unless you're doing it for fun. That's an interesting answer you said because, I mean, this is what we forget sometimes about businesses is that there's an operation side, which is what the business actually does. Yeah. But on the front-facing oh, side, which yeah. is like, you know, how it projects itself and gets things moving. Yeah. And this is a problem that said that we actually deal with a lot yeah. with a lot of founders because especially a lot of technical founders will build these beautiful projects, you know, this nice like V8 engine shiny and get it done, but they don't know how to move it. Yeah. Right. Other than like they had like an initial sale or like um, they spun out of a different company that they'll, that'll buy from them or initial yeah. customers. After they have that initial growth curve, they don't know how to replicate this. Yeah. And they don't understand that sales is its own, their own, it's its own, like its own process and own whole thing other thing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Because you you not you don't need just go to market. Go no. to market is so important. You need to lay that all out, <clears throat> but you need to manage the whole entire process and workflow if you want to keep your cost of acquisition low, yeah. right? Because that's the other half of the problem. Most people are like, let's just throw money at it. Mm. Let's just hire a bunch of outbound salespeople. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of outbound sales unless you are at the enterprise class or above. Mm -hmm. You sell to large businesses that are, you know, certainly large national brand name businesses that have people in functions, you absolutely need outbound sales. Mm -hmm. But if you're selling to certain size of business where there should be some self-serve component or in the speak of the funnel, right? When you talk about the marketing funnel, you need to bring people through the funnel to a certain point, automate it if you can. And then at that point when they, it's a warm lead, you know, they're really seriously interested. Then you bring your people in. Inside sales. Yeah. Oh, I, I, like, I, I'm like, a big fan of either automation or inside sales and only because the class of customer and the people that we deal with fall into that. And, and I sometimes see a lot of businesses to me, at least that do, I feel that it's expensive for them to, to move right away into outbound sales because they don't know how else to get those customers. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because like sales again has been moved into like more, empathy driven more relationships based people because yeah. there's so much variety and, and choice out now in yeah. the marketplace people rather go with you know what's comfortable they actually go with a relationship i yeah. trust this person i have a yeah. good feeling with this company i believe what they believe they have they support the causes that i support right the people the way they shop people shop now even for like in the b2b realm yeah. it's almost like what are the, your value sets as a company mm -hmm. how can i trust you helping your business together yeah right you know a lot of things are, are it's just a continuous sometimes it feels like you're on a little wheel and you're running but um the good thing is technology is actually improving a lot yeah. of thing of processes and a lot of people sometimes don't realize how much there is out there that's affordable also for start, small startups yeah and that's the space where i'm often to, that's why we started working with um i mentioned to henry earlier and I'm starting to actually teach kind of part-time as part of the IC program at York or yeah. Chulik because I'm yeah. an alumni there. And so for us, part of it is trying to be able to explain to people, okay, you don't need to necessarily use the most expensive CRM there is out there. Mm. There's other tools and there's so many functions and things you can use that are available to startups. And we are obviously very, very blessed right now to be in a space in a time in which startups have so many, so much support. I mean, it wasn't the same 10, 15 years ago, right? Um, now, besides financing, you have the ability to every, almost every B2B tech um, technology that's out there for startups has some type of trial or startup program, right? Um, Intercom is a or, you know, keen example of that, right? Of they have a trial program for the first year, you're gonna be have very, very subsidized rate on things, right? Yeah. Um, the famous one is obviously HubSpot, right? Everybody knows about these things, right? But 
you need to also search these out, right? And look mm -hmm. through these, right? And a lot of people sometimes don't know where to start. That's the unfortunate thing, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like that's the main issue right now is like there's so much information out there for free. Yeah. And yet people don't even know how to sometimes get, get, get to them because yep. it's like the knowledge gap, right? Yeah. Of, even, of the unknown unknowns. Yep. Um, this is what institutions like Yspace and, and the Hub and uh, these, you know, these innovation centers, yep. right, are so important um, because they give like a guided view of a, a place of connection where like more seasoned people or people hyper-focused in that particular solving certain problems, business problems, can come in and kind of evaluate and give you kind of feedback. Right, like how how imperative was has been has that been like that process been being part of incubators and I I think that incubators are some of the best ways in which you can build a startup. I I'm part of Venture Lab, which mm -hmm. is actually in the York region. I'm also part of Communitech, mm -hmm. um, and being a woman in tech already is is challenging, right? But at the end of the day, it's the same problems for everybody. Mm -hmm. And and for me, I honestly had no idea all the programs that are available, all the grants that are available, all the advisory programs that are available. And so to me, the first place you should go before you even really, really jump uh, into, I think, entrepreneurship or startup is to understand, okay, do I have the support group around me mm -hmm. to really understand am I making the right move or, or even have somebody to, to talk to, to explain how people normally do this, right? Because I had no idea. I yeah. honestly had no idea. I didn't know. I knew about Shred because I heard about it from somebody else. I didn't know anything about, you know, IRAP. I didn't know anything about all these OC programs that are fantastic. And and now that I am part of Venture Lab, I've been there about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And not only are we given access to really like A-grade office spaces, um, it's also the advisory, right? I, I get to talk to them about, okay, I need to learn how to pitch because I was just starting to, to do that, right? Yeah. Pitching to investors and pitching to partners is so different from pitching to customers, yeah. right? I knew how to pitch to customers, but when I was talking to investors, they didn't care about like the features, right? They want to talk about what you're doing with your go-to-market. They want to talk about these things I didn't understand. Yeah. Heck, I didn't even yeah. know half the terms. Mm -hmm. What was an LTV? I didn't know what an LTV, right? Yeah. And so just that terminology is, is basic and, mm -hmm. and you need to know what you don't know and you need to know what questions you don't know how to answer or ask, right? Yeah. So what's amazing is like the emergence of startup culture, oh, right? Yeah, you get absolutely. immersed into this world exactly yeah. where like everyone is kind of doing the same kind yeah. of thing. And uh, I mean, we've been part of it so much now that I me and Henry joke about like when we step yeah. out and meet other people who are not in it, it's hard, it's hard for them to see there's a whole industry. Yeah, it is. Right? Like the innovation economy has become a thing where like people are putting time and effort and energy into building companies almost as if they were new careers than before, right? Yeah. People, people I think they choose, can now choose a career in innovation. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, Canada is really thriving and I think we, we're blessed for so many reasons, right? Yeah. Besides all of the natural resources and things we have, we have a very diverse population. Mm -hmm. And I think that Toronto is finally, you know, not just Toronto, but most places in Canada are being recognized for that because yeah. it brings so much variety and so much experience yeah. here. And, and we are able to, to utilize that as a country and, and leverage it yeah. for innovation. And I'm so glad to see that. And I'm so happy to come back here, right? Because for me, Canada's always home. I was born and raised here. Yeah. And it was a little weird when I went abroad because I was like the reverse, right? I was born in Canada and then I went to Asia for years and it was... I was like a fish. At, it was, I was an odd duck over yeah. there. Right. And I come back and this whole world has changed since I've come back and I, and I love it because 
people talk about Silicon Valley, but reality is when you see what we're doing here mm -hmm. and obviously what the academic institutions are doing here, yeah. um, there's no reason why you need to go south of the border to mm -hmm. raise money. There's no reason to go south of the border to build a, a fantastic business as Shopify has done, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. um, I mean, let's talk about that experience, right? Going, yeah. Moving to Asia, like, was, was that done to like go back to your roots? If you were born and raised here, why the need to go back home? Like, well, I was always of the, okay, I want to do something that other people aren't doing. I liked being, I also wanted to experience and see what it would be like to work outside of Canada. Because I think that most people who come from an ethnic background, there's, I mean, there's so many people in Canada and Toronto, mm -hmm. right? I grew up in an odd, you know, family, right? So at, at school, there's your stereotypical Canadian experience. I go home, Asian values. Yeah. Right. And that, that's very typical for most people. And so I was brought up in a certain way to believe a certain set of values. And it, it was often sometimes counter to what I would learn in school. Right. And so I thought, you know what, you're right. Maybe to some extent I wanted to find out more about that. But at the same time, I was also thinking that Asia would be the next big growth engine. Right. Yeah. For the world mm -hmm. um it was already i mean i was lucky to kind of catch a tail end of hong kong being part of that right and so you want to move outside and, mm -hmm. and we have so many opportunities as canadians to do that besides everybody having family roots and friends i mean the way our country works i mean we're lucky we have great relations with so many places right yeah, and yeah. you can travel and work abroad my sister ended up working in hong kong she ended up moving to the netherlands she worked there for a while right and then once you've worked abroad and then you come back Number one, you appreciate Canada so much more <laughs> for everything. Yeah. And I happen to like snow, which is odd. But yeah. um, but the other side of it is you really, really understand and truly appreciate um, what we bring uh, back from all those other places. And, in, you know, working in retail, I loved working in Asia just because I got to see a whole other world. Any learning and any touch points? Yeah, you oh, learned? my God. Yeah. Like, well, well, when I was there, I mean... The whole idea of cashierless, I mean, that had, people talk about Amazon Go, Amazon Go in the U.S. now. I mean, that was, they started that eight years ago in yeah. Asia, right? So a lot of stuff that sometimes we feel is advanced here may have been, you know, they're ahead of the curve in some areas in different ways, right? So I would just say travel more, open your eyes more, right? And part of it is being able to do that. Um, and being Canadians, you know, we're so welcome everywhere. It, it's fantastic, right? And also, mm -hmm. also the good thing is, a lot of people have two languages at least right in canada mm -hmm. whether it's french or in english or not or whether it's a third language that gives us a huge advantage as a country right and and i i think people need to do that more i i think sometimes growing up in just one place and, and being afraid to move around even within the city yeah i mean think about it when i grew up I, I grew up actually i was born and raised in scarborough so i'm also from this area and so i grew up in this area but then you know my parents wanted to move out of this area but my parents have never ever ventured west of Young, right? <laughs> and I have friends in the west side that never venture east of Young. Yeah, Toronto's a weird city like that. People have a right? that line and then they don't cross it. Well, you, that's what I'm saying, right? At the minimum, we should try to do things a little bit more outside of the box, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's something that is happening more and more with the type of innovation culture that's happening. And, you know, travel is part of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean... Um, me and my wife talk about that too. Like we're always been in the East and we've always lived in the same kind of areas. Yeah. And it's really hard to even think about moving somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, we want to, as much as we discussed, like, yeah, it would be great. 
but it is so far. It's strange, isn't it's so it? So strange. Right? <laughs> it is very, very strange. When I, yeah, the the most west I've ever lived is now. Actually, I I live uh, I live downtown now, but you know, Bathurst is the very west end of my world for the longest time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and it's it's weird how how we can be a little segregated in our city. Yeah. And we should try not to, right? Yeah. Even if your friend is 45 minutes an hour traffic away in Mississauga, <coughs> you should go, right? Yeah. What's hilarious is like uh, we actually went to the same elementary school and middle school. Oh, yeah. Diff <laughs> difference in... Yeah, different time period. Different time period. Okay, but that's the only but, thing. But like it was cool to go to, to connect about that. Yeah. I mean, what's that, what was that like growing up in Scarborough, right? Like, like I find like my entrepreneurial journey started from literally Scarborough, like selling stuff at school, right? right? Pokemon yeah. cards to like... Yeah, to uh, CDs in middle school in, in Macmillan, right? It was just, How about you? Well, Scarborough is a diverse area of the city, right? Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that I grew up the way I did. Not just diversity. I mean, it was all different types of things, right? Both in terms of food, obviously. Fantastic yeah. food, great. I mean, that that's one thing I got to say about Toronto, which is unusual about most of, uh, when you travel, yeah. um, is that you can really find that diversity of food and people and thought. And um, no, I mean, I was I was at Mac a lot, long time before you. I think, <laughs> but uh, no, they ha and they had some really great programs, right? Yeah. They had an enrichment program there, which I was a part of. And I think you know, it's it's just a question of the fact that we're, we're lucky with the schooling systems we have. We should people really do need to know that what we have here is superior to so many other countries I've seen and been to, right? right? So and after living abroad, you feel like. Yeah, and, and reinforce that value. Yeah, yeah it, it really has. You feel that difference because a lot of places there really isn't as much of a public education focus still, unfortunately, to get a good education. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case in Canada. I'd like to hope that it stays that way. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to wrap up soon. Yeah. But let's talk a little more about like your thoughts for the future. Right. Like, I mean, you're you've, you've become uh, from a serial entrepreneur to like now a, like a, a like a. Uh, innovator by creating this new digital platform and, and building products, right? Let's talk a little bit about like your futurist, like uh, futurist kind of visions, right? right? Now with like the software and automation, like we're part of like the fourth industrial wave where right. everything's changing, software is kind of eating the world. Um, the future of work looks so different. Like, what does the future look like to you? Like. Any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the first thing is people talk about closed loop, right? So right now, the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be closed loop because at the end of the day, everything is data. Um, to me, though, that comes with responsibilities, actually. And, and it's not something I'm saying lightly. I mean, privacy concerns are something that I think need to come up more and more. When you talk about the futures, a lot of people talk to me about, every time I talk to somebody, they tell me, are you going to do AI? Are you going to do machine learning? And yeah, for sure, those are technologies we need to look into and then we're going to apply to the data we have. But I think we really need to first get a good grasp on what exactly that means for the future in mm -hmm. terms of usage of data. Because I think that we are running a risk right now with a lot of our businesses. Um, there isn't enough emphasis on this right now, I think, in, in a lot of the, the tech sector. And I think there is also still too much of a divide in terms of support for women in tech. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a strong point for me. Um, I know you're probably asking me about the future of tech on retail tech and all that stuff. But even before that, I mean, we have to talk about who are we actually pushing things towards, right? 
I'd love to see more women in tech. I want to see more diversity in tech before we even talk about that stuff. The reason why is AI and machine learning are here to stay and those things are biased mm. and we need to have a more, a greater and broader diversity of scope in the conversation. Um, I'm really excited about the abilities and the opportunities that automation and workflow automation brings with data. Mm -hmm. And like I'm, for example, like Sidewalk to me is, is, is a super interesting idea. I'm also tend to, tend to be one of those people that love, I love convenience, right? To a certain extent, I'm willing to sacrifice certain things in exchange for convenience, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a scary world. And I say that because I lived abroad. Um, not to say anything bad about any regimes around the world, but it is a scary world. Yeah. Once data is out there, it's hard to bring back in. And mm -hmm. so we just want to be able to manage that better. Um, I, it's just something I keep in mind when we built our platform. We, we actually put a lot of thought into it. More so than I think. Um, so, like in an ideal world, like yeah. how can we fix this data problem? Because it's a big problem. Yeah. Right. Like the, the data breaches, there's privacy insecurities, just people leaking data and not understanding this new oil that yeah. seems to be, you the know, article, pretty yeah. much like you know coming out of thin air, out of the ether. Yeah. Um, how do we securitize it? Well, for one thing, I think the minimum is managing consent is something we're not doing well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm we're building and trying to build platforms to manage that. Because that was one thing I was reading recently. We have another, you know, some great retail experts in the city. Uh, Doug Stevens is one. And he actually talks about, for example, the retail store is the new media platform actually now, right? You don't actually, you shop on your phone now, you buy the stuff and you might pick it up in the store. And so the store has become a marketing platform almost, right? And so how do we manage that consent? Mm. I mean, I'm not going to be able to solve that problem by myself, but I'm just saying that we as businesses, business owners, need to build the mechanisms to do that in there. So that to me, for example, when I say a merchant should be able to use their data to sell more, I give a merchant the ability to actually say, okay, for me as a business, I'm the one who's hosting it. Do you give me consent to do certain things with the data? If you don't give me that consent, we okay, then we're not gonna do that. Then you pay this price. And then you have the ability to say, okay, we actually work with Nielsen, for example, in this way. We actually do have an ability to do that already with our legacy application. What happens is our merchants give consent if they want to actually sell their inventory sales data to, to Nielsen in exchange for Nielsen paying for some of their fees. Mm. So I, what I'm trying to say is people should get value for their data and they should know where their data is. Um, it's not easy and I'm not judging any businesses if they haven't necessarily solved those problems yet because it is huge. Right. Yeah. Right. When GDPR came out, I did an audit of my business. I was trying to figure out where all the data was. I found 72 touch points. So any data that's in my business has possibly up to 72 different applications touching it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our, our previous guest talked about this, like yeah. uh, Google this year launched a um, audit service. Yeah. Like any company that is working with large data sets have to do. Yeah. They're working through their platform yeah. and it costs like $75,000. Yeah. Is that something that you had to do or? No, but I mean, we just need to be, well, I didn't have to do that specifically because of the way in which we, we, we obviously store the data and the way in which we actually manage it. Uh, we have obviously all the legal, legal requirements for it. But at the end of the day though, it's about being frank to the merchant. Okay, look, this is what we're offering you. When you ask for the ability to market to somebody, you need to get consent for that. Mm -hmm. You need to get written consent for that. 
it's also just teaching the merchants to do that. And even on our side, it's learning and, and moving on that, right? Okay. It's a conversation that's happening, right? It's, they call it privacy by, by design, right? That's a huge pro, huge thing. I mean, Ryerson University with uh, Dr. Kavukin actually came up with that, right? And so it's something I think we just need to put more focus on. There's Absolutely. no solution yet. It's just something we need to work on. Yeah. Right. And like another thing to ask is like you talked about like the retail location becoming like a marketplace. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's interesting is, I mean, just like you mentioned, like you, you purchase online and you come to the retail store to pick up. I mean, a large part of the physical location's appeal is someone to come and interact with the product. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people still want to purchase online. Yeah. Right. So right now I mean, you can go to a store, scan something on the Amazon app or the eBay app, yep. right? have it populate and purchase it there and walk away. Yep. And like just avoid the, the hassle, take you to the cash register and paying mm -hmm. or waiting in line, yep. right? I mean, I rarely go to the malls anymore, but I, my, you know, my wife went in on Boxing Day yep. and geez, lineups, right? Like I'm like experiencing this, like it's for the first yeah. time all over again. And it's almost like, I mean, would a retail like uh, tool like yourself in the future do this where like try to go in that space where somebody's in the store, they're gonna scan it and purchase online to well, the location. Well, it's going to be two things, right? I think what's going to happen now is a combination of the online is going to be both a catalog. So people sometimes don't even necessarily buy online, but they want to see what you have. I'm saying like buy in-store, like okay. digitally within the store. Well, th that's going to happen eventually. Like self-serve. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. going to happen too. But I think the first initial stage for most retailers are going to be Bopis. We call it Bopis, but it's basically buy online, pick up in-store. So you buy it online, but you easily pick it up. So no more lineups. You go somewhere, it's already packaged for you. I think that's the initial phase. And I think yeah. that's the easier thing for a merchant to do than even e-commerce. Mm. I, I actually recommend it to merchants. The reason why is the return rates are lower and the cost of fulfillment is lower. You're not paying for free delivery. Yeah. Right. So that that is an initial stepping stone. But the next step is exactly what you said. How do so we- So you, you think that's going to be an evolution? It, it's an evolution. Yeah. I mean, it's any retailer who's moving from flyer to learning to do all of that is not going to be able to jump right away. And let's be frank, Walmart's been doing it for a couple of years. Target's starting to finally see a renaissance in their, in their business because they did it. It took them years, though. Yeah. And these are big businesses. So we should be piecemeal, but towards the right direction, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Perfect. Ken, this has been amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing so much about retail tech and Taku and everything you're doing. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's, right? it's really interesting. Um, I really hope to keep in touch and get some more yeah. updates of, it, of how you guys grow, especially after your, after your launch. Cool. Um, yeah, really, uh, really great to hear from you. Thank you for coming on.